0: Join me in the book of Judges, chapter number four. How many of you know what I'm preaching this morning? Just clap if you know what I'm preaching. Okay, so you're here like we really want to hear this story. Because for those of you that don't know, we are going to one of the uh, really most graphic passages in all of Scripture. We've been studying the life of Deborah. Deborah. Uh, In the Old Testament, we've been talking for, I believe this is the fourth week, maybe the fifth, probably the fourth week, uh, talking about the roles of women in the kingdom. Back in December, uh, I was praying and I just had it cemented in my spirit that the Lord wanted us to begin the year talking about women in the kingdom. And uh, that really doesn't usually make the list of what preachers are supposed to start the year with. So I sensed really the intentionality of the father towards his daughters. But it's also been good for the men to be able to get either acquainted or reacquainted or refreshed uh, in in some of the um, back-to-back-to-back messages that really, because I had a a sister, Janice, told me a week or so ago, she said, Jeff, we're used to, speaking of women, we're used to like getting one message a year for us on Mother's Day. She said, I've never been where there's just back-to-back-to-back messages, and she was speaking on behalf of some other women, and there's a lot of help that's taking place, but As a man, um, I've been helped. And Deborah's story is connected uh, to some other women. And probably the primary one that she's connected with is this woman, Jael. And I want to bring you a message today called Jael. She's a woman of stealth and strength. Now, this passage of Scripture probably make the normal, average western dignified 21st century charismatic or evangelical a little bit nervous because it's not fluffy this is probably not your best mother's day passage because it involves a woman driving a tent stake with a hammer through the skull of a bad guy amen god bless you you're dismissed so. <laughs> But it's so important that we can learn um, from this because God didn't put it in there to tantalize us. There's there's teaching around this. There's an opportunity to grow. There's a ton of application. And so, um, well, let's just read the text. The Bible says in Judges 4, verse 17, that Sisera, he's the commander of the army of the enemy. He's just been defeated So he fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Say, my, my, my. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went to her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. We are in a season that is going to require that men and women step into the fullness of the roles that God has assigned them. And in order to do that, I'm going to make you a promise, they're going to have to step out, especially the women, out of some of the roles that culture has assigned to them. There is some misunderstanding about the value and the function of the daughters of God in the 21st century western church most of it comes because we are not a biblically informed church we have been for the last several decades we have been a culturally formed church not a biblically informed church and not all of culture is liberal and crazy. A lot of culture, especially in the arena of religion, is tight, controlling, and so patriarchal that it, bl- it blurs the biblical lines that God himself has drawn. L- let me give you this. I don't want to be any more conservative than God. Amen. <laughs> and I don't want to be any more liberal than God. And as you study the scriptures, you're going to find out that in some things, God is liberal in that the church may not be, and some things God is conservative in that the church may not be. And so what we do is we recognize we live in culture, but woe unto the one in whom the culture is living. And so we've got to be a biblically informed and biblically loyal people. And when I look at uh, what's going on in the church today, and I recognize that there is a lack of clarity on, on the roles and the function of women in the church, um, it's just in my, my heart to bring some Reformation touch to some of that as often as I can. So let's just look at JL, and let's learn some stuff together today. First of all, I think it's important, I've got to give you a little historical note, that God was working before JL. Back up in verse 11 of this chapter, and I'm going to pair it with verse 17. Verse 11 says this about Jael's husband. Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, who are the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. And Heber had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zainamim, which is near Kedesh. Then at the end of the battle, it says in verse 17, Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. Now, this doesn't make a lot of sense on a superficial reading, but I I want us to understand a little bit about Jael's husband so we can really make a little bit better sense of what happens in Judges chapter 4 and is then sung about in Judges chapter 5. You've got this guy named Heber, And Heber is of the people of the Kenites. And the Kenites were related to Moses by marriage. And so for a couple of hundred years, the Kenites have been loosely associated with the people of God, the people of Abraham, the the people of Israel. And so there is probably some level of loyalty that Heber and his people have had with the descendants of Abraham, the people of Israel, who are being attacked by King Jabin, whose army general... Is Sisera. Now, just stay with me here. I'm going to make sense of this. Why do we even want to mention Heber? Because the message is really about Jael. Well, I want you to know that what we can, we can kind of deduce about Heber is seen in a couple of things. The Bible says in verse number 11 that he didn't want to be with his people. He left the Kenites and where they were in the southern part, and he moved north, and he was kind of by himself, Close to the territory of the enemy, but technically still in the boundaries of Israel. And so he had not abandoned everything that was associated with him. He had not abandoned Israel. We have no reason to believe that he had abandoned the God of Israel, but he wasn't necessarily wanting to be too rooted and closely connected. And as a matter of fact, somehow, we're not told how, he had actually made some kind of peace treaty with the people of Hazor and King Jabin with the enemy. The very same people that have been oppressing God's people for two decades, Heber the Kenite had somehow made kind of an alliance with. So what does that look like? It looks like this. He's the guy that doesn't want to be held back by being identified with the people. He's a maverick. But he's also a guy that doesn't have the courage to fully break from the people of God, but he has the craftiness to kind of get what he can from the people of the world. So he's a guy who's got splinters in his back pocket. What do I mean by that? He's been sitting on the fence a long time. He, he won't make a commitment. He won't be a man. He's just going to get what he can from this group. He's going he's to hang with the people of God when he can hang with the people of God. But when it, it makes sense to him in a practical way to make peace with the bad guys, he's going to be buddies with them And he's not going to be held back by the Kenites because he needs freedom from that tribe in order to be able to operate independently. And if that doesn't describe a lot of men today, I don't know what does. Men that want the benefits of being associated with the people of God... And don't, have, don't even have, the, listen, I'm just going to get tough with us brothers. Don't have the courage to just say, bless God, I'm done with God. I'm done with the church. I'm done with the things of Jesus. I'm just going to throw myself in the world. They don't have that kind of courage because they still have that, that suspicion. Well, I, I, you know, it's superstition. I, I don't want to be too forthright with my, my, my walking away from the Lord. And yet they, they dabble in the world for all of the things that bless and please them. So it's, it's the classic case of a fence straddler and meanwhile he's got this wife back home named JL who's sitting in the tent every day while he goes off and does his thing why is that important because there's been a huge battle and Sisera the general of that battle has just had his entire army defeated and as his army has been defeated he is on the run and he remembers we're not too far away from heber's land i'm going to go to heber's land because the king is in good with him maybe heber will hide me heber's not home by the way and that's going to be bad news for sisera why am i saying all this because before J.L. steps into her moment of destiny god has already set up the system by which she is going to succeed She does not know that. She does not see that. She can't forecast that. And all I want to say by this is, in spite of who you might be married to, sister, in spite of who might be the man that that maybe isn't in your life like he once was or maybe never was, or despite of the man who might be in your way at work or in your way in the community or the one that's held you back, or maybe it's just you've got a, a bad attitude altogether about men in general, I want you to know something. God's working before you. If you want what God has, there's not a man in the world that can keep you from it. And so that, that, what that does is it, it removes from you the, the realistic ability to live in a perpetual state of being bitter and angry against men or living in a state of victimhood. I just can't succeed because man has gotten in my way. My friend, there's no man bigger than your God. And so Heber was not leading his family. Wasn't leading his wife, but God was working before her. Now, go down to verses 18 through 20. By the way, I, I already know what time it is, and if you got to go, you got to go, but I'm going to hang a minute. God was working around her. Here he comes. In verses 18 through 20, I want to address this system in the culture that was all around uh, uh, J, uh, JL. She was living in a system a cultural paradigm, just like you are, just like I am. We don't live in a vacuum. We live in a culture. Some of the culture is beneficial. Some of it is suppressive or oppressive or repulsive. There are good and bad elements of culture, and she was living in one, and she wasn't going to flip the culture on its head, but I love what J.L. does. She actually utilizes the culture to her advantage, utilizes the system To her advantage what am I talking about well first of all the system verse 18 said that a woman must nurture the system demanded the woman must nurture verse 18 Jael came out to meet Sisera so the bad guys coming into town she's coming out of her tent and this is what she says turn aside my Lord turn aside to me do not be afraid so he turned aside to her into her tent and she covered him with a rug now There's a lot of question about when did J.L. decide she was going to pitch a tent in the side of his head. And we don't know exactly when, but I'm going to say, because everybody's got an opinion on this, I'm going to say that in the immediate moment where J.L. saw Sisera, and word had already by that point spread about the defeat of Sisera's army, she knows that this is a God-ordained opportunity. And so she harnesses the system where the system says that the woman has to be hospitable to the man. Let me give you something real quick, very quickly, just in case there's a misunderstanding. The Bible is very clear about male headship in the home. I know that's not popular. Talk to the Lord about it because it's biblical. But nowhere does the Bible say that there is male headship over all women. In other words... Whereas God has set up structure in the home between a husband and a wife, and by the way, what do, you, what do I mean by headship? Well, he's the first to sacrifice. He's the first to love. He's the first to lay down. He's the first to humble himself. He is the first to seek the welfare of his That's what headship is. Headship isn't strutting in and saying, it's all about me. Wife, orbit around me until I tell you you can quit orbiting. That's not headship. Headship says that the great priority on me is to sacrificially love and lead my wife So I am the first to seek the welfare of my wife The idea that all women are subjected to all men is a lie out of the pit of hell It's a lie out of the pit of hell. That's the source of misogyny God has not made me the head over your wife, sir yeah, if you want to test that, go and try to tell some other man, man's wife what she needs to be doing. You might get hit twice by her and him. So I just want to point that out. I want to make sure we understand that, that headship is not you're the boss, you're the stuff. You're the guy around it which everything orbits. Headship is Order. I believe in male headship in the church, but that doesn't mean that women can't lead, that women can't preach, that women can't influence, that women can't proactively take up mantles that God has assigned to them. So we need to recognize the difference between structure and order designed by God and recognize that it has nothing to do with value. We have equal value in the kingdom of God, male and female. So the system said that she was supposed to nurture. So she said, let me work this. Why why don't you come on in? Hey, you don't have to be afraid of me. You don't have to be, because this guy's on the run. I mean, he is in the enemy territory. He is by himself. He's lost his chariots. He's lost his army. He is in bad, bad shape. And J.L. flips the nurturing switch to get him to drop his defenses. She's a smart lady. Second thing. The system said that a woman must provide for a man, verse number 19. Look at him. He said to her, at least you use the word please, please give me a little water to drink. I'm thirsty. So what does she do? She opens a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. Now, why is that significant? Well, he's thirsty. He's been on the run. He's been in a battle. And she doesn't give him the water just to refresh him. She gives him the heavier substance. She gives him the milk. Sweet and heavy, and for a tired fella, it's going to lead to something we call here a nap. (laughs) But notice this. Notice what she didn't do. She didn't say, I don't know who you think you are. I ain't getting you no water. Get it yourself. Who do you think you're telling me what to do? You ain't my man. You ain't my husband. I don't have to do anything. She used the system the system by the way in ancient israel was not favorable to the females it was an intensely patriarchal system to where women were viewed in essence as those that were to bring pleasure to their husbands bear children and take care of the tent or the home that was it that was it there was very little value to most women in that day and yet they were expected to provide to serve to nurture all of that stuff and so she is expected here to provide for him and she doesn't she doesn't say no she works the system verse number 20 the system said that a woman was to obey look at this he said to her now he's got a little milk in him he's laying down now he's feeling safe and secure and he's reverting there's no pleas in this one because he's starting to feel safe secure strong again in charge and he says to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man asks you, is anyone here, say no. So now he's barking out orders. Yeah. Now he's telling her what to do. Now, I love the fact that she didn't go off on him. She didn't even get spiritual on him. She didn't say, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm a descendant. I'm a relative of Moses. I'm connected to the Hebrews. We don't lie. Because that's what he's asking her to do. He's asking her to lie. But she doesn't sermonize. She just says, okay, mm-hmm. why don't you lay down? you just go ahead, lay down. I'm going to take care of everything. I promise you I'm going to take care of everything. (laughs) Let me, let me give you this. This doesn't have as much to do with JL as it does a principle in the kingdom that I think, uh, man, I just hope somebody gets and runs this. Let's go ahead and recognize some things about our culture and let's even recognize some things about um, Christendom in America there are some flaws it, it became very vogue um, going back about fifty years for people to walk away from the church the visible church the local church because they they could point out everything that was wrong with it they, they so they got critical enough and finally there was enough that they could realistically say was wrong with the church they just said well the whole systems flawed i don't even want to be a part of it so uh... they're watching live stream right now just kidding. just kidding. <laughs> just messing with it just messing with it But the point being is this, is that, yeah, there's systems in our culture that are flawed. This is not a fair culture. Please hear me on this, especially my fellow Caucasians. It's not a fair culture. This is not popular sometimes when I speak this, but we need to recognize this, that although it is not an insurmountable culture, it is certainly not fair. It never has been. Origin influences outcome, and over 400 years ago, the first black people in this country were brought here on ships uh, on, with chains wrapped around them by people that look like me, and, and it has never been fair. Have we made progress? Marginally. Marginally. Do we have hopes that it's getting better? I do. I do believe. I'm praying. I fast sometimes praying, asking God to make it different in my daughter's generation. Let my my children and my grandchildren be the generation through whom uh, uh, racism is, is exterminated in our country. You may not believe in that, but that's okay. I believe God's more powerful than the demonic powers that facilitate racism. But here's the point. The system is stacked. So you've got two choices if in any way the system is stacked against women. Uh, guys don't like to hear that. Everybody really thinks that, no, man, we live in the everybody gets a first-place trophy society. Well, that's not realistic. The system is stacked. It doesn't mean it's insurmountable, but the people that are overcoming it are the people who choose to do more than just rail against the system. What do they do? They enter the system to change the system. So all of the people that walked away from church all the, because of all that was wrong with it the more noble thing to do would have been, I'm going to take my lumps, but I'm not going to leave this system because what I, what I recognize is I see the problems. If all the people that see the problems leave the place where the problem is, the problem just gets more perpetuated. Yeah. And so when we see a problem in any system, we, we have to recognize we can either stand on the sidelines and bark till there's no bark left in us about how wrong it is, or we can say, I'm going to engage and I'm going to facilitate change. You set the table that the generation coming behind you will eat at. So she did all that. She used the system. She used the patriarchal, male-dominated system. She let Sisera think he was in charge, and his life was about to end, and God was going to be glorified. Um, very quickly, when Paul writes in Galatians 4.4 4, that it was when the fullness of time had come, that God sent his son into the world, there's a practical understanding that needs to be attached to just the spiritual understanding. The fullness of time, when did Jesus come? Jesus came when there was a common language that united that part of the world, that was Greek. Jesus came at the time where the Pax Romana had made travel safely because the Romans had enforced, through threat of violence, ironically, peace all over the land. There had been a highway system that had been developed where people could travel and move and go to places they had never been able to go before. There was also... And that, that time where Jesus came, uh, a deep desire, a growing hunger for the Messiah amongst the Hebrew people, when, when, when that system was set up, the Romans, the Greeks, the Jews working in their different areas, it was then that God said, now is the time come. Because those highways, when the gospel was given, were going to be the highways that took the gospel to different parts of the world. People would be safe to travel. It would be given in a language that people of different ethnicities and different groups spoke, and so the gospel could be communicated. So God the Father allowed the system to be created and then used it. God the Son used the system. Think about this. Jesus knew that Pharisaical Judaism, run by the Pharisees, was empty for the most part. It was overtly traditional. It was heavily legalistic. It was about power and control, and people were not having hearts. They drew near to God with the lips, but they didn't have the hearts. And Jesus did not come in on day one and start screaming, Judaism is dead, follow me. He never did that. What did he do? He entered into the Judaistic system. He went to temple. You find him there at 12 years old, and he's boggling the minds of the doctors of the law. He entered the system. He followed the system. He was fulfilled the system. He was there in the synagogues. He went where the system was operating. Why? Because he was seeking to change the system by his presence and his power. And then Paul did the same thing. When Paul came on the scene after Jesus was crucified, dying for your sins, dying for my sins, raised from the dead, Paul used the system. What was that? When he went into a new place with the gospel, the first place he went was the synagogue. He went to the meeting places. Why am I telling you all of this? Because there needs to be a shift in some of your thinking. Some of you were born for reformation work. Some of you see the problems in the culture, you see the problems in the church, you see the problems in the way things are, and, and, and there is this impulse within you to do something, but it seems so big because you can't topple the system. You think, who am I? I can't topple racism. I can't topple legalism. I can't topple liberalism. Well, friends, you may not be called to tip those sacred cows. You may be called to enter into that thing and change it from within. Some of you are Trojan horses in the kingdom. God wants to bring you in so that you can come out and you can start changing things. I I appreciate the weight that injustice brings to all of our hearts. But I want to tell you, there comes a time where we have to leave off complaining about it and start doing something. We have to start doing something. There is enough moaning and groaning going on in our country right now that we, if we didn't moan or groan for another five years, there'd still be a surplus. Where are the people of action? Where are the people that not only point out the problem but come with a solution? JL's got a solution in her left hand, and she's about to pound it in with her right hand. So let's go there. Verses 21 through 22. God was working around her in the system, working before her with the history of her husband's people, and now God would work through her. Verse 21 and 22. Here we go. We're going to see her come out of the shadows into her moment of destiny. J.L. counted the cost. Verse number 21. Notice what the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Judges to put down. But J.L., the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Why is that important? There's a couple of things. The wife of Heber was an ally to the king of Hazor, who was the boss of the man laying down in her tent. She was about to take a very legitimate risk. As I've already pointed out, her husband was a fence straddler. He didn't have, apparently, a whole lot of backbone to, to live for what was right without apology. He wasn't there that day. She's at home doing what she does, But the Holy Spirit writes down that this J.L. was the wife of Heber, who back in verse number 11, we are reminded that he is in league with the king of Hazor, the bad guy. So J.L. has to make a decision. (coughs) She has to choose in this moment to do the will of God at the risk of the displeasure of her husband. This is fragile ground here. But I'm going to ask you something i'm just gonna make it plain when god gives us an assignment to obey and we choose not to obey it because we want to obey a lesser authority then we've made a bad choice may god give discretion to each one of us in our homes in our churches in anywhere where authority is established by the lord there is the reality that the apostles once said We will obey God rather than man. So she had to literally hazard a displeased moment with her husband in order to accomplish the will of God. He said, well, Jeff, how do you know it was the will of God? Well, because Judges chapter 4 verse 9, Deborah the prophet had already said that the, the battle would be won and Cicero would die by the hands of a woman. So there's a prophetic destiny on Jael. Whether she knew that, I don't know. But there's a prophetic destiny She is coming out of the shadows and stepping in to her moment of destiny. And so in verse 21, at the end of it, Jael lays it all on the line. The Bible says she tiptoed. She went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And then, so he died. (laughs) So in that culture, the men didn't set up the tents, the women did. So here's JL, and girl can handle a hammer and a peg. She's used to stretching out these lines. She's used to setting up the tent. She's used to pounding in a nail. There's no telling how many times she had to do it in their journey from their homeland to the place where they are now. And so she gets in there where the, the most feared man in Israel is laying in her tent. Now, his army's been chased, but he's still the dude, and she knows it. And he's laying there, and she has brought him the milk, the calm, the nurture, the provision, and he doesn't think he's got a problem in the world, and he just lays down. And the Bible, this is your Bible, says she just like a cat all the way through the temple into the ground she was stout she had some triceps man i mean she was she had to take her opportunity right there she couldn't lay out gideon's fleece she couldn't pray for a sign she couldn't say well i need to So many of us talk ourselves out of our destiny and we do it under the guise of being prudent and responsible when really that's just a masquerade for being fearful. Some people say, well, I'm praying about it. What you're hoping is God will give you a reason not to do what he already told you to do. And so we don't read her about her praying about it. She just knew. She just knew. And so she kills the arch enemy of God in Israel at that time. Verse number 22, she was neither afraid nor ashamed about what she had done. Behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So she runs out to meet the good guy, Barak, who's leading Israel's people. The army pretty much is chasing and killing and destroying Sisera's army in a different place. But Barak is on the heels of Sisera, just a short time behind him. And I love the fact that this woman of God comes out, and she knows she did a hard thing. But she knows she did a good thing. Let me give you something. Um, Hard is not the same thing as bad. There's a lot of good things that are hard. Some of you are being called and will be called to some hard things. And the, the difficulty is when the hard part is your reality, you can sometimes feel badly. And so you, in your mind, you start saying hard equals bad, hard equals bad. And then you've got a, a certain tenet of, of Christendom in our culture that says that God's always going to make it easy for you. He's always going to clear the pathway. He's never, matter of fact, it's just going to be pina coladas and a cool breeze and an ocean moving in and out the rest of your life. That's what the kingdom is about. And that's just not true. So it was hard, but it was good. I want to, I just, I really feel pastoral here in this moment. Some of you are right in the middle of your hard season and it's not bad. It's just hard. I can't tell you it's going to go away tomorrow. But I can tell you, you can have peace in the midst of it being hard so that when it does come to an end, you can say, I learned how to trust God in the middle of it. I learned how to lean on the Lord in the middle of it. I didn't quit halfway through the chapter he was writing. So JL has got Dude's head pinned to the ground. She comes in with Barack. Barack looks down, and he says, Well, well then. I guess my job's done here. (laughs) Just very quickly, ladies, I want to say this. Um, She wasn't afraid, and she wasn't ashamed. Those are two primary weapons that the enemy wants to use in the lives of God's daughters, fear and shame. Fear and shame. Put on the top of your prayer list or your proclamation list, I will not live in fear and shame. I will let nobody shame me. You can feel afraid without being afraid, and there is a difference. When the feeling starts becoming your being, that's when you're in trouble. In ministry time today, we want to break that off of some people. Let me get done with this message. God was working through her, God was working around her, God was working before her, and then God would be working after her. Verse 23 and 24, and then a little bit in verse number, chapter 5. Jael, remember this, was a singular part of a larger mission. So in verse 23, So on that day, on the day Jael did what she did, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So for 20 years, Jabin... And the Canaanites, this area, have been 20 years. Go back to 1998, start counting until today. 20 years this guy and his army have been suppressing God's people, but on that day it was done and it wouldn't happen again. Why? For a couple of different factors, but two of the primary ones were a woman named Deborah and a woman named Jael, who took care of business, not because they were plan B, because they were God's plan A for a time such as that. So they had engaged the enemy, they had subdued the enemy, and now they had eradicated the enemy. God wants you to be on the offensive for your life, not on the defensive. Engage the enemy. Engage the enemy. He's coming at you anyway. When I mean engage him, I mean don't just sit there saying, oh, make it go away, Lord. No, he's giving you power and authority and spiritual gifts. Go after the enemy. Again, the Bible says that he will flee from you. Submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then when you engage him, you'll subdue him. You absolutely can subdue the demonic realm and the devil in your life. You can. Most of us don't deal with the devil anyway. It's his minions. It's his demons. You can subdue them. You can take the territory that they think they own in your life. You have to do that, though. You may need help, but you have to do that. And when you subdue the enemy, you're going to eradicate the enemy where he doesn't want to mess with you anymore because he keeps losing. Now, some of you don't believe that. I can tell it just went, hmm. To the degree that you fail to believe that is the same degree that you're going to continually struggle under the strategy of the enemy over your life. And you have to take authority. That's part of what this church is, part of what we're going to be about. Jail's name would be exalted. Chapter five, verse six. I'm almost done. Matter of fact, worship team, if you will, please come up. In the day, look, this is Deborah's song. We're going to go into this a little bit next week. This is like in in the beginning of her song. She's singing it. Barack is singing it. I think that's so cool. What's that new movie that's come out? The singing movie with Wolverine Dude? Don't pretend like y'all don't go to movies. (laughs) Greatest show, greatest showman, something like that. It's all a musical. It's got a thing. I I see Deborah and Barack just kind of doing this thing, and they're singing. I know, that's not holy, but it, it's the way I was feeling in the moment. <laughs> Here's one of the lyrics. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, he was a, another crazy judge. And in the days of Jael, she made it into the song. This, this housewife made it into the song of Israel that here we are thousands of years later. And listen, her name, and all of the time, her name has been read and sung as a lyric more than any Bethel song that's ever been written. Why? Because she's been in there for thousands of years. She's memorialized. God, look at this woman who who used, all she could do was use what she had. That's all she did, man. She's like, I know how to work a hammer and a peg. She didn't pray for some super abundant, miraculous vision. She just took care of business because she trusted God when she used what she had that God would work his work and it's memorialized in the Bible. In the Bible as a song. And then her deeds became legendary. At the end of that song, this is what Deborah sung about Jael. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the, set her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. Come on, man. Okay. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. They don't write songs like that anymore. What... What are they doing? They're memorializing the valiant efforts of one woman who did what she could when she could with what she had. That's all she did. That's all all God's asking any of us to do. Do what you can do when you can do it with what I've given you. Think about it. Do what you can do. Quit obsessing over what you can't do. Stop pouting. Stop it. Well, it's in my heart to do this, but I can't. Well, do what you can do. Matthew Henry said hundreds of years ago, he said, when you cannot do the good you would, do the good you can. Do what you can do. Do it when you can do it. So in other words, keep your eyes open for opportunity. There are certain seasons where you've got to move. You've got to move. You've got to move quickly. You've got to move decisively. Not everything can be fasted and prayed over. You're supposed to be fasting and praying prior to the need to make the decision. Then you'll have the wisdom to make the decision when it's time. And, and do it with what you have. He's gifted you in ways he'll never gift me. He's gifted me uniquely. He's gifted you uniquely. And it brings such pleasure to the father's heart when his kids just say, Papa, I just want to do whatever I can for you with what you've given me. Not because I think it'll make make you love me more, but it's just in my heart because I know how much you love me. And I just want to love you back. And one of the ways I want to love you is I want to honor you. So whatever you put in my hand, show me what to do with it. And When the time comes, I'll do it because you're worthy of it all. So Father, in Jesus' name now, let there be faith in this house. there be humility in the hearts of my brothers. Let there be courage in the hearts of my sisters. I pray, Lord, in this ministry time there'll be deliverance from fear and shame. Even if it's been prayed for a hundred times before today, let this be a moment of destiny. Pray for those never received from the gift of another one who was spiked. Yet his spikes were placed in him because he received them willingly. I pray for you who've never surrendered your life to Jesus who was spiked to a Roman cross in judgment for your sin and mine. That you'll know today that he did that in love for you. If you come this morning you let us know that you need help receiving him, that you want to know what that's all about. We will rejoice with you and we'll answer whatever question you have. But take the moment, take the opportunity, do what you can when you can do it with what he's given you. And he's giving you faith right now to trust him, Lord. Let there be faith, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?